Welcome back to another episode of Marvel News Desk, your best place to keep up with all of the latest news, reviews, and speculation concerning Marvel films and TV shows. Our panel today is our usual crew. We've got Adam. What's up, guys? I'm on Twitter at Adam Barnhart. And we've got Rhiannon. Hey, guys. I'm on Twitter as Brooklyn Wallace, and my handle is at Shot of Patron. And I'm Caleb. I'm on Twitter at Caleb A. Borchers. We want to encourage you guys to go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube. You can do that at watch.marvelnewsdesk.com. Also, uh, check out the second podcast in our Marvel News Desk family. That's called AP Marvel. This week, I believe, is their meta episode where they talk about the history of AP Marvel and how it came into existence. So uh, you can check that out over on our website as well. Uh, all right, we're going to just let's just jump into the news. I don't have anything cute or funny to say here at the beginning so we'll just get going uh in another lovely occasion of us recording a podcast just hours before news broke guardians of the galaxy volume three is now officially on hold last week we did the podcast uh that was still like just our idea that we thought would be a good idea and we were kind of speculating on it but now we've heard officially that disney has taken some of the cast not cast but some of the crew people that were building sets and all that stuff and told them to go find other work that they are not ready. So, um, I guess I mean, we've talked about this a lot. Let's play. Uh, let's play a little game here of how long should this last? Like, if you're if you're Marvel, how long do you think Guardians should go on hiatus before they uh, before they start working on it again? Until they are ready, they have no release date to meet. They never did formally announce a release date, so they can do whatever they want now. They can take their time finding a director. They could rewrite the script if they wanted. Um, I would much rather them wait until 2022-2023 to make the right movie instead of cobbling something together and making it the worst entry in the franchise if it is the last um i mean i think as far as how long they i think they should wait at least a year before they start back into it if not two or three years i mean i've been saying the past few weeks that they should give two or three years for people to just forget just move along um who knows what else they have planned though that might tie into it so but, I mean, if they wait a few years, like Adam was saying, 2022, 2023, that gives them time if they were planning to tie something in to completely rewrite and re-strategize and figure out what they're going to do. Yeah, I think this is going to be a big negotiating thing. I mean, just this week we've seen a few of these um, comedians that were involved in some of the Me Too stuff. And, I mean, it's not a it's not a one-for-one comparison, but... You know, Louis C.K., after nine months, did first a first stand-up set for 15 minutes at a comedy club. And immediately people were like, oh, that's too soon. There's been lots of, like, lots of people tweeting that that's terrible. And then lots of people tweeting back, like, he's been gone for nine months, you know. Like, does he have to be gone forever? And it doesn't seem like our society has come anywhere close to a conclusion on that. So I don't think this is easy, but um, it does strike me that a year, like if they announced a new director next July at Comic-Con, to me that would be, that would be probably the earliest I think they can get away with it. 
but they don't need to push. I mean, particularly if they've done what we think and move strange up to film in the spring and then black widow to film, um, in the summer. I mean, that gives them until spring of 2020 before they even need to start thinking about this at all. And, uh, so yeah, I think at least a year and just let everybody cool off, you know, get in their own corners and chill out and hopefully Dave Batista will calm down. It, it for fans of the franchise, I mean, this probably comes at the worst possible time, I guess. I mean, Disney's on the verge of buying Fantastic Four and X-Men, you know, and Fantastic Four is most certainly could be that cosmic property that takes that takes that guardian spot. So it's just kind of a an awkward deal, you know, if they delay um guardians, you know, it's hard to believe. I would guess Fantastic Four is probably the first thing on Feige's mind. I mean, you bring up the point, there doesn't need to be a Guardians 3. You know, they could take a lot of guns ideas, they could take the characters they have. They can move into another movie. I mean, just if there's no other Guardians 3, that doesn't mean there's no more Rocket, no more Groot, no more Star-Lord. You know, like all of those characters could be wrapped into other franchises. And I think your average moviegoer would never notice. You throw Groot in a preview, people won't care what the name of the movie is. Exactly. And that's the thing. I mean... You know, they could give Taika Thor 4, and Rocket and Groot could be in Thor 4. Yeah. 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 Now, I am curious. It's interesting because, like, I would assume that some of these Guardians are going to be on the media tour for Avengers 4, which will kick into high gear, you know, in March or April of next year. Do you think we're going to have James Hangover in Avengers 4? Or will that be a big enough event that the media will kind of leave it alone? Like, it seems, it would seem almost bizarre if they hijacked that movie's media tour to talk about James Gunn more. But I also don't trust Dave Batista not to say something, you know? Like, if he gives the opportunity, like, I don't know. Do you feel like these are going to affect each other, I guess? I feel like Batista's invite to Avengers 4 has been rescinded. To, the, to all press events. The, the, you know, to the premiere, to all press events, everything. I think Batista, like, is going to just calmly be, or, you know, Disney's going to be like, yeah, we think you have other plans that day. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm totally on Team Drax kicks the bucket in Avengers 4. They're going to make it like uh, he almost gets his revenge on Thanos, but Thanos kills him and he finally gets to join his family. That type of deal. But I saw he, he retweeted something else this week. And I'm like, goodness, man. He doesn't want his job. I mean, he's using his platform, which is good, but he, he doesn't care about job security whatsoever. I mean, I think he was starting to talk about a God of War movie or something. So, yeah, he's Gears of War. My bad. But, yeah, he just doesn't seem like he's, I don't want to say he's not thankful for his job, but he certainly doesn't care what he says. Which props to him. I mean, you believe in something, you stand up for it, and and willing to lose a Marvel gig because of it. Congratulations. I think the thing with um, Batista is, 
I mean, I get that he's upset, but, you know, the rest of the cast seems to be realizing that, like, this is a complex matter. And, like, to me, it doesn't, at this point, it doesn't reflect on him well. That he's, like, he continues to talk about this, like, this is an obvious black and white, Disney is pro-Nazi, you know, like, it's just, he's just not... I think Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana and some of the others, the way they've talked about this, are like, this is a really complex thing. And I think even amongst us, the three of us have talked about how we all see both sides of this to some degree, regardless of what side we come down on. We see that this is a complex issue. And it seems just weird to me that Batista seems incapable of seeing the other side of it. It just doesn't speak well of him to me. But So, Adam, you mentioned Taika Waititi. Um, he is, uh, he also was talking last week, apparently with Disney about possibly doing something new at Marvel and having another project. People were immediately speculating on that. You guys have any thoughts on what you would like to see Taika back for? Um, yeah, I just want the record to reflect that like the first weekend in May, I tweeted that Taika should direct the Eternals and every single, site speculated on that last week so and not one of them gave me a hat tip so i'm kind of upset about that still i know we talked about this on twitter uh you know caleb and i and i think michael t ford was in on it as well we talked about eternals and i i think i'm the only one of the three that liked it um you know it's just it's that kirby artwork that that he brought to life in thor ragnarok that's exactly kind of how i picture an eternals movie shaping out i mean i don't know the property that well i I know caleb you've been reading through those comics but i mean he he can do serious too you know i mean no matter no matter what the the property is it's a disney movie it's still going to have comedic undertones throughout you know at least at a couple of points um so i mean i Eternals is, yeah, I mean, it would be this huge, gorgeous, beautiful space opera type deal. Um, but after after Thor Ragnarok, I know I'm in the minority. I probably have Thor Ragnarok as a top five movie. And I know, Caleb, it's not even close. It's probably top five worst no, MCU movie. No, not there. No, but, that far? It was on uh, last year's I, rankings. Where did you rank it last I, year? I don't know. I think it's at this point fallen to like 12th out of 20 or 11th out of 20, something like that. Uh. So it's it's down there. But, I mean, I loved what he did. And I think, I mean, Eternals is a property that virtually nobody, you know, knows. It's I think they've had they had that first volume run. And I think Neil, Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. Um, Neil Gaiman. He uh, he had a brief stint on it, um, so I mean they could really do whatever they wanted, you know. Yeah, I've been reading the uh, the rare talked about like '80s run, and I'm sort of surprised. I like it a little bit better than the Jack Kirby run. Like to me, <sighs> Kirby's great. To me, Kirby's a little more of an artist than he is a writer. Oh, for and sure. so um, I don't know. I'm enjoying the '80s run a little bit more. Like I said online, I just, um, I think Eternals needs to be a little more on the serious side. I think it needs to be somewhere in the realm of a Kenneth Branagh Thor, like setting up the mythology. And um, 
I think because they play with a lot of these Greek archetypes that there's a lot of even like tragic storyline and background to it. And I'm just afraid that it's going to feel goofy if Taika does it. Like, I think Taika did a great job with Ragnarok, but and it's my favorite Thor movie, but that's because he was subverting the world they already created. And I don't think you can do that until you create the world in the first place. So that's where I'm... That's where I'm a little... Da- and it's not... It's And on the visual side, I agree. Like, bring in the same you know, set design and costume design and art, you know, production, all that stuff that you had on Ragnarok, bring all those guys in. But I would like to see something with a little more dramatic chop to it than, than Taika's. Cause I think Taika's instinct to it is like, Oh, let's kind of make fun of it because it looks goofy. But I just think that you have to like establish yourself before you can do that. I mean, wilder people tugged at your heartstrings a bit, didn't it? Yeah, it was great, but it's not an inherently... There's no guy with, like, a blonde bowl cut and, like, weird medallions on his... Like, the, the, the Eternals is just so bonkers and kind of out there. Um, you know, Hunt for the Wilder People is great, but it's also a relatively grounded story about a kid running away from, a home, from home, you know, so... But what we do in the shadows is not at all grounded. I mean, it starts with Taika levitating. It's true. I just watched it this past week for the first time. But even there, they're subverting a lot of the vampire tropes, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm trying to think, like, what you just said as far as... But I feel like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about the Eternals either. Maybe we should make that the next reading assignment. Hmm. Because um, I'm only going to read what y'all assign. It's funny because it's... It's thick. Like, particularly if you read the Kirby stuff, mm. it's that old, like, 60s, 70s comic thing where you read one page and it takes, like, seven minutes because it's just, like, <sighs> huge, like, and then Icarus thought within his mind about all the things that had transpired in his life and reconsider, and then they, like, recapitulate the plot, like, in all the, like, thought bubbles. Yeah. Well, this was, okay, like, let's not. last week when this let's happened. Not. Like, it's... It's a little left. That's, That's not. Never mind. That idea never happened. But maybe we'll do. Maybe we'll do Neil Gaiman. So um, the Neil Gaiman run, I'm sure, is far more palpable. So did I see he showrunning American God season two, or was that, is that a figment of my imagination? Uh, I think that's possible. Coming soon on American Gods news desk. <laughs> yeah. Let me go buy that domain. Well, it's funny because American <laughs> Gods actually has some resonance, I think, with Eternals conceptually. So It does. Uh, oh, Michael T. Ford had a great idea. Um, and this would fix your Guardians problem and the Taika problem. Um, is you let him do a Ravagers movie. Mm. Give Taika that, like, oh, Stallone and all yeah. those guys. That would be... A lot of fun. Especially, uh, you th- you're the one that said Bruce Willis should be Vance, right? <laughs> yes, I do. If that's the case, I'm <laughs> in. Sign me up. All right. Uh, moving on to the next bit of news. Rhiannon, I think this will be one you are excited about. So Charles Sewell, who is the uh, writer Soul. of... Soul. He's very adamant about the E being silent. Really? It's like the bottom... It's like... I saw him yell at people at a con before. I, he didn't yell. He talked about <laughs> yelling. it. Yelling. Yeah. Dude, I've seen him at cons. <laughs> I'm sure he was just like, wah, wah, wah. That's 
Well, I've again, it's comic books. I've always said it in my head. I've never heard anybody say it out loud. It's Charles Soul, uh, which makes him sound like a character on Blues Brothers, right? Like, <laughs> let's go down right. to the bar and meet Charles Soul. Anyways, um, Charles Soul uh, tweeted out attention to the fact that there is a character with the same name as Blindspot in, in upcoming episodes of Iron Fist. So there are some thoughts that maybe he is seeding that character for the future of Iron Fist. Rhiannon, you are a big fan of his run on Daredevil. What are you thinking of this idea? Makes sense. Um, assuming Iron Fist takes, you know, goes to Chinatown. Um, Blindspot or Sam Chung, the character that is behind Blindspot, is a undocumented immigrant that lives in Chinatown. So I think that would fit him really well in the Iron Fist universe. Um, I I mean, I want all of the Daredevil characters to be with Daredevil. Um, so it makes me sad to kind of see like Typhoid Mary, Blindspot. Um, I want to think there's somebody else. You know, just, like, the thought of these characters going to other series and the other series not being able to play. Like, if they're going to interact, if they're going to cross over, that's great. Um, but if they're giving us blind spot, he needs to become Daredevil's protege in some way. Uh, but I'm excited to see him because he is a fabulous character. Um, he's a character whose superpower... Yeah, I mean, like, he's a fairly new character, and his superpower is based in science. There's no mysticism, there's no, he's bit by radioactive spider, he's not, you know, there's nothing special, nothing radioactive about him. So, that sort of really fits with the MCU and the current Marvel, you know, they lean very heavily on the science. So, I think that would fit in well. Um, do I want him in Iron Fist? I don't know. Thinking about it, though, it, it is a character whose powers, if you will, um, definitely make sense on a Netflix budget. You know, it doesn't seem like there would be much visual effects involved with that. You know, they could just not put him in there and somehow levitate a cup or a sword or something, you know? I don't know. I'm not a visual effects expert, but I... I don't know. He, I think he was created in 2015. Maybe he was in a one shot and then he's been in this most recent Daredevil run. So it's not like he's been around for a while. Um, even then, he's even been probably in, been involved more recently than the early Daredevil stuff. Um, so it's not like I don't think Iron Fist would have had the writer's room would have had access to that this newer stuff that he's kind of been featured in, if you will. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff in this character that they might not have had access to, but I think the basis of his character, that he's an undocumented immigrant, yeah. that uses a cloaking suit to be invisible. For those that don't know, spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. But, I, I mean, that's something they could fit in with Rand, kind of. Um, at least that's why I would guess they put him in Iron Fist, because Rand's... The R&D development or the R&D department is working on a suit. I don't know. Dude. He's probably just going to show up. It's probably just going to be some guy named Sam and he shows up for a cameo or something. 
No, but would it ruin it for you if Rand came up with the cloaking suit? I mean, that was one of the like great things about his character is that he came up with the cloaking suit, didn't he? Well, no, yeah, I, yeah, but I'm saying maybe he's you know part of that department instead oh. of an undocumented immigrant, or maybe he is, and Danny hired him. I, I really want him to be an undocumented immigrant. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, I think he provides a fascinating opportunity that could really get botched, I think, for Iron Fist. Because, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about um, Iron Fist and that there's sort of this white guy that's at the center of the show with so much martial arts and so much about Asian people. And so to add in a sort of another lead, like in a way, it would, I think, kind of help in that you're giving a lead role to a Asian or an Asian American actor. But then on the flip side, it might also just make really more obvious that we've got, you know, this really, really white Danny. And it just like, I don't know if that's going to like help heal the wound for some people or if it's just going to like rub it in even worse. Does that make sense? Right. I think the folks, I think there's a lot of people not willing to give Iron Fist a second chance. I was going to say, let's not forget that blind spot is also the TV show that Ward Meacham's real-life girlfriend is on. Easter egg. There you go. The only other thing I don't like about this possibility is that Blindspot does get worked up with Ten Fingers, which then gets him involved with the hand, and I'm not sure that the hand coming back into Danny's life is something I want anytime soon. <laughs> That's a good point. You're not uh, you're six months behind on Daredevil, right? Yes. Oh, okay. 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 Oh wow! So they get back to that stuff. That's interesting. Um. Okay. Mm, we'll see. Mm, out of something. Out of okay. Me. Well, nonetheless, <laughs> I know. I know the first run of the ten fingers in the hand. And the issues with his eyeballs and all that stuff. So, Ten Fingers would be an interesting character to pop up in Chinatown. I actually forgot about Ten Fingers. It'd be difficult. I just got to be careful because even, I mean, I don't think Soul did a bad job, but sometimes it was almost a little Mandarin-y as far as like just really like drawing on like, I feel like some stereotypical imagery that is a little uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe that's just me, but. Dude, you're six months behind. I don't remember what happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I literally just got done catching up, so it's all fresh in my head. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. All right. We're going to jump on to the next category because we're out of time and because I don't want to get spoiled. So, uh, Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Wesley Snipes has two Blade projects that he says he's working on that are both so good that you'll debate with yourself which one you like more if they make them both. Uh, and he says that he's been working with Marvel on them. Um, I hate to do this, but as Wesley Snipes, let's ask the most cynical question possible. Do you think Marvel really cares what Wesley Snipes thinks about Blade? <laughs> or is he <laughs> deluding himself and thinking that Marvel's going to get his approval to do anything? Did you guys see... I want to bring this up. I have a bone to pick with the internet today. There is a popular fan artist who produced a picture of Wesley Snipes as Blade. And I saw several sites picking it up, saying, here's what Wesley Snipes could look like as Blade in the MCU. 
I was just scratching my head. I mean, what's, I don't get it, you know? You mean turning fan art into clickbait? Is that what you're talking about? Or? No, why, why is it fan art in the first place? He was already Blade. We know what yeah. it looked like <laughs> as Blade. That's what Snipes looks like. That's what... uh, back to your question, Caleb. I um, Did they consult Ben Affleck about, Dare, about Daredevil? I'm, I'm sure not. <laughs> I mean, we could, ask, we could ask Brewster next time we talk to him. But I'm, I'm guessing that Ben was not on set. I mean, you know, like, you know, did Jennifer Garner have a say, did I get the right person, in Electra? Yes. Right. You know, it was like, I mean, the people that played these characters 10 years ago, how long ago was Blade? Was that like 15, 20? I don't... 98, wasn't it? I'm at that age where time is a blur. To be fair, I don't know, I'd have to look this up. I think that Snipes did have more producer role than those guys did. Okay. All right. But still, it was more than 10 years ago because it was before Iron Man, before the MCU existed. Um, you know, like, unless he's drinking buddies with Feige or something, I don't think they give two flips over his thoughts. That should be our main topic. Who is Kevin Feige drinking buddies with? I don't think Wesley Snipes would make my top five. Apparently James Gunn would not either. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, some of this is like, too, is the way Snipes always talks about it. Like, I'm assuming right now that he had some producer role and that maybe he even had co-ownership of rights or something, the way he talks about what he did with Blade. But that could just be all his bravado. Like, he maybe was just hired on as an actor. I don't know. But he always acts like he has, like, some control of this stuff. And I just don't understand why he thinks he does it seems bizarre to me i'm googling i mean depending on what side of the fence you're on i mean technically blade was the first superhero movie right i mean that it predates any x-men movies i mean we're talking marvel i mean because there were tons of batman and superman well yeah batmans and stuff and there was that really crappy fantastic four they had to make and there's probably some like straight to tv hulk stuff and there's lots of spider-man Men movies. Yeah, there was that Captain America where he had a clear shield. What? That was before I was born. What? Tell me about this. Is that like Zima? Zima's clear. It's, uh, they always use clips of it from, uh, like Conan O'Brien show uses clips all the time. They're like, and now the latest trailer from Marvel. And they just show this, like, it's like made in 1988 or something. And it's some guy, instead of white in the shield, it's clear and... Like, everything about... He has a motorcycle, and there's lots of plexiglass, and it looks terrible. But it was a Captain America TV movie they made. Okay, I'm looking that up now. Snipes wasn't getting me anywhere. All right. Uh, Adam, this is news I know you're pumped about. We found out today that the soundtrack for Venom is going to include at least a track by Eminem. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. I feel like this makes for this sure, movie I'm more exciting. I think so too. I, there is a huge number of people on Twitter that hate it, but there's, I mean, yeah, that's Twitter for you. But I, I'm super hyped. Um, I'm not sure if it's like uh, um, what Kendrick Lamar did for Black Panther, if he's just kind of compiling like the soundtrack of sorts, or if he's just doing a song, kind of like the TV spot song or something of that nature. Um, but yeah. 
it made me a little bit more excited for Venom. Not a whole lot, a little bit. I think Angry Eminem is the right vibe for that movie. I think it is. I have a couple of little small news things that I'll read through real quick, and you can tell me if any of them are interesting. Kevin Feige is going to receive the David O. Selznick Award from the Producers Guild of America. This is like a Lifetime Achievement Award that is given to only the biggest producers, and it's the kind of stuff that guys like Brian Grazer and Steven Spielberg have won in the past. Uh, So that is a well-deserved honor. Uh, Disney, for a little bit this week, it looked like their new streaming service might be called Disney Play. And then it turns out that I think that was just misunderstood by some people writing news articles that didn't understand what was happening. So I don't think we have a name for it yet. Uh, People have determined that the Black Panther mask uh, has Wakandan writing on it that says, I love you, mom. So, okay. And uh, the Gifted released some new production photos, which don't mean a whole awful lot to me. So, uh, any thoughts about any of those things before we move on? I mean, I've just really been following every bit of news on the Producers Awards. Um, so, no. no. Yeah, Rhiannon, were you going to come over to my uh, Producers Award party? You didn't RSVP. Just after I finish binging The Gifted, so I know okay. what the Redacted were talking about. <laughs> So with the Producers Guild, I think it's cool because production is the thing in the MCU that deserves the most credit. Like, yeah, part of the reason that they don't get as much love as they need to at the Oscars is because there's not an Oscar that like captures what they're doing by producing consistently good movies 20 times in a row. But yeah, The Gifted, let's talk about it. I wanted to put that last because I did want to talk about it real quick. Um, listeners, we need your help. So... <laughs> I've listened to... For more things than yes. one. Variety of ways. Patreon.com. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I was just going to go for wine. <laughs> so, um, I've watched about six or seven episodes of Gifted Season 1. I think Adam's 2 in, Rhiannon's 5 in, or 7 in. Oh, 10. Or, I can't see. Oh, sorry. I could only see one of the hands. So, I was like, it's 5 plus another one. I'm not sure. <laughs> So she's seven in. Um, I feel like the three of us are struggling to get excited with it. And so um, I'm enough of a completionist that it would bother me to not talk about it in a way. But I also foresee a Legion situation where one or two of our hosts just gives up by the time that we're halfway through because we just don't care. So I guess we'd be interested if you're a regular listener to our show and you love The Gifted and really feel like we should talk about it. Send us a tweet or an email or something and let us know that you love The Gifted. We need to talk about it. And if we receive none of those, then maybe we won't talk about it. I guess, I mean, that seems fair enough, right? (laughs) With that being said, we do have a correspondent that we've brought in just to cover, like, The Gifted that is infatuated with it. So we will have some gifted features and she may do like, we might bring her in for a podcast or something to maybe try to get us excited about it or something. But, um, yeah, God help us get excited about it or tell us or yeah, don't. Or I mean, if 20 of you sign up for the $20 tier, tier on Patreon, we will be sure to, you just have to like set your username as the gifted fan one or something. Yeah. We'll change the name of the podcast to the gifted news desk. So yes, 
the five dollar tier is you get to see all of our raw commentary on the gifted that Caleb edits out. Right? Five dollars they get yeah, to see yeah, this. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. I actually that tier has made me uh, a little more eager to cut certain things. I try not to cut anything that's really good, but if there's something that's kind of silly and offbeat and doesn't really fit in the episode, I cut it so that that joke and that humor can be uh, a special treat for the five dollar people. So, oh, so join Patreon so you can hear my really funny president joke from earlier. That makes me really want to cut it now so that people are just like, what's he talking about? And all the signs that Rhiannon has actually drank a whole bottle of wine tonight. I think we're on to our main conversation already. Um, so it's, uh, it's summer is almost over. It is about to be Labor Day and we're about to be back uh, in school season. I bet most of you listeners actually have kids already back in school, but we don't start till next week. Um, but yeah, summer's ending. And so our summer reading club needs to have some kind of, uh, closure to it, or at least semi closure or whatever. We're going to talk about the summer reading clubs. So we're going to talk about the first six issues of Captain Marvel. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, so yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, if you guys have not been reading this with us, let me give you a quick synopsis of what happens. This is sort of the relaunch of Captain Marvel as a property, uh, Carol is taking on the Captain Marvel identity for the first time, and she's sort of coming to grips with the idea of doing that. Uh, she also has a friend named Helen, who is uh, dealing with cancer, I believe, and is not doing too well. It also has a little bit of her friendship with Jessica Drew, and some funny stuff with Jessica and Helen um, dealing with one another and their relationship. And in the midst of all this, Helen gifts Carol a plane. Uh, Carol is obviously a Air Force pilot. And she flies that plane and time travel craziness ensues and Carol gets to meet several generations of powerful, strong women from the history of the United States that have met at different points uh, an important situation. So that is the general storyline of what happens uh, if you've not been reading with us. Uh, guys, go ahead and just give me your reactions. How did you feel about... Um, this first six run, six issue run of Silly, Kelly Sue DeConnick's um, Captain Marvel. I was lost. Like, I mean, the first three or four books, I just kind of was like a little bit. If I hadn't binge read the comics, um, which for me, I totally prefer binging comics to the week to weeks. Um. I would have been completely lost. And I even, you know, it was like I read a couple and then like waited until I was on an airplane at some point. And I read a few more. I, the jumping around in time, I didn't love. And I didn't ever really catch, like, at the end of the arc, like, I get that it was sort of taking, having something to do with her friend, but... I'm not loving it. I mean, it gave me a good backstory and I, I feel like I know the backstory better now. And I feel like it was an interesting story plot. It just, I'd say seven out of 10 for me. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably be in the, uh, the right area. I'm not sure what I expected. Um, but I do think it was better than I expected. Um, 
like like I posted in the Facebook group, I I really really like it. This defeats the purpose of comic books, but I really like when writers put kind of a strong narrative in there. Um, a lot of words, kind of in the panels and in the edge. I mean, Frank Miller was notorious for doing that kind of stuff, especially like in Born Again and and Al Ewing's uh, Rocket Run. He just did. Um, it's a nice mix between just comics and a novelization of sorts. Uh, um, so I really like that. I didn't really expect that. I also did not expect time travel. And I, I'm with you, Ryan, and I It just felt kind of disjointed. Not kind of. It felt really disjointed to me. Um, but then again, it, it did provide us that necessary origin of sorts. Um, that otherwise we would have needed to go back to the 70s run of Captain Marvel to get Carol Danvers' actual origin with the Psyche Magnetron device, or whatever it was called. I forgot what it was called. The device that exploded to give her her powers. Um, So all in all, I mean, the first six issues, they gave us, um, you know, they kind of gave us a rehash of her origins. They, They showed us who... Um, you know, how much of a badass Carol Danvers is. Um, but yeah, the time travel stuff it, it was kind of off to me. Um, the thing that stood out most to me, I, I enjoyed the artwork so much. Um, there was one issue right in the middle that Dexter Soy didn't do, I don't think. Um, but I think he was on every other, um, issue. It was just a, a really nice style. There was... A couple beautiful splash pages with Carol zooming into space, and apparently in one of does she get frostbite or something? For some reason, her skin was blue in that one. Um, but yeah, I love the artwork. Um, it gave us a solid foundation. Um, like I said earlier, it was much better than I expected. Yeah, I I want to agree quickly. Just that the the plot was a little messy. So I went back and like re-flipped through those episodes right before we started this episode's issues. But um, there's a plane that's in Peru, and there's little shards of Cree like stuff, and somehow the plane moves back and forth between where the shards are in time and space, and somehow her friend like knows about it and that's why she sends carol the plane to send carol back in time to take carol's place like i i just the mechanics of it i still understand it just seems bizarre to me so i haven't even i haven't even thought through it that much i just thought it was a fluke because she went really high up in the atmosphere or something oh no there's a moment in like issue five or six where she looks at her friend and she goes you, you did this to replace me. Oh. And there's like that villainous turn where her friend is like trying to take her Captain Marvel spot. After which she then gets back to the future and she's like, oh, that was funny that you tried to replace me yeah. as Captain Marvel. <laughs> that yeah. seems very odd to me. So I don't think it's the intricately, wonderfully written plot that makes people love this so much. Um, what about it do you think is so attractive, though? Because I think a lot of people do really love this run, and I think there's some things to like about it. What did you guys think was positive about what you read? I mean, I don't think there's not really... 
a hero with that skill set and power set, you know. I mean, she is probably, I was going to say, closest to Superman. I mean, you know, you have Sentry, um, and he's kind of got problems of his own. It's just, it's a pretty unique skill set. It's it's the, the flying and the the iron fisty hand things, the plasma hands or whatever they are. Um, I just thought it was a nice, fresh power set i guess and i mean you have people like blue marvel that kind of mimics the powers a little bit i guess no matter what the plot there was a lot of girl power to it there was when uh when she was the very first time travel when she was with the world war two or world war one uh fighters i really wasn't entirely sure which war it was the war was over they didn't know something ish um, but I got a lot of Wonder Woman feels like it was a group of women fighters. You know, I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, they're totally riffing on Wonder Woman. And then I had to remind myself that this came out before the Wonder Woman movie. Um, and it just, so there was a lot of, you know, in all of this, it was a lot of, um, lady empowerment going on. And, um, and I enjoyed that. And I also, I mean, and the real side of that is girls sniping at each other. You know, like, women that are in power, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff to women not lifting other women when you're in power. That it's, you know, sort of like only one of us can make it. And so the Helen versus Carol thing you know sort of does touch on that real issue in its own comic booky way uh so i i think that's that's a lot of what really uh hit it for me i think it also it's it's always important to put these things in like the context of the greater comic existence so i think if you had read miss marvel for years or knew the version of Carol before this, where they had frankly done really weird, unusual, messed up things. I mean, the history of Carol in the comics is just like a uh, a, a long, complicated series of men writing women's stories in a way that today would be frankly just offensive and would not be okay. And so to see a character that had been sort of treated that way to then come out and be like, I'm strong, I'm confident. Even the idea of like, I'm in a suit that looks roughly like a flight suit or it looks somehow something militaristic instead of like what would have been worn to the 1978 Miss America, you know, swimsuit competition. Like, I think that's a huge thing that's hard for us to see because now we're whatever, a decade on. And we're used to Carol as the captain who's in charge and not Carol as the beautiful bombshell who's constantly getting put in these weird narrative misogynistic things. And I think that it's it's important to have those things contextually understood. So um, so based on what you guys saw, I mean, we're, we're coming into a Captain Marvel movie. Um, what What from this run do you think... If you're Kevin Feige or uh, you're the writing team or you're, um, uh, oh, I always forget the names, Fleck and somebody who's the directing team. 
Pop quiz. Pop quiz. <laughs> so if you're the directing team, um, what what do you what would you draw from this? Like, what from this run would be something that you feel like would be usable in this film? Carol has a friend named Hel- Helen. Karen has a friend named Helen, and they're very competitive, and that they both fly planes. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I think time travel in the sense that we know the series has taken place in the nineties, maybe. Oh, I hope they don't do that time travel stuff. I, I would much prefer a uh, uh, first Avenger type time travel. I guess you know, towards the end, we see her in the stuck in a time vortex or something. And she meets up with Scott or something. Um, I'm not sure what would be adapted. Obviously, we're going to see her powers, and obviously, we know Jude Law is Marvel, but we didn't even really see Marvel at all in this. I mean, he was in the flashback or the time travel for a couple panels, um, but nothing super major. Um,. So I'm not sure necessarily what I would adapt, if anything, from this, the the first six issues at least. I think it's interesting to talk about Marvell. It definitely within this comic, Marvell is treated with a degree of reverence. Like everybody still almost speaks about him in hushed tones. And like there's this thing early on where Carol needs Steve Rogers to almost give her permission to take on Marvell's mantle as Captain Marvel. Like she's feeling weird about that. I think it's safe to say our MCU version will have to be different because Marvel is not a known important quantity to Earth's heroes, right? That's a really good point. I mean, even in the comics, I mean, he had a pretty long first volume run, but I mean, Carol Danvers is a much more iconic in that role as Captain Marvel than Marvel was. You know, I I, I was trying to think of. Other superheroes where the second iteration stood out a lot more than the first, you know, maybe the flash, you know, with Barry Allen instead of Jay Garrick. Um, but yeah, I, for the life of me, it, it's hard to come up with superheroes where, like I said, the second iteration is iconic, whereas yeah, the first iteration is not really a household household name, you know, I think that's some of our era, too, though. I think if you had talked in the 80s about Marvel and Captain Marvel, like the death of Captain Marvel is a very important and fascinating graphic novel. Yeah. In part because it's so unusual. Like it's a graphic novel about someone dying of cancer and what that looks like and feels like. And that's, um, you know, it's just bizarre. I mean, not bizarre, but it's just, it's unusual. It's It was very, it was all these cosmic things and then they put it into a story that could be in any hospital room in America. So, Right. I feel like her characterization is something that they're going to definitely use. The thing that stood out to me that I feel like makes her personality different and that they'll play up is just the cocky and competitive side. Mm-hmm. Like, she's always trying to set the records. She wants to be better. She wants to be faster. It's it's very much like a Top Gun kind of feel, you know? Like I was just going to say that. I think that that's... Because, I mean, we have a certain arrogance in, like, a Tony Stark or a, um, a Stephen Strange. But this is... Um, I don't want to say this wrong. It's, it's almost like a juvenile competition, but not, like, in a kid-like one. It's just, like... I bet I'm faster than you. Like, I can't imagine 
Tony and or or Stephen Strange like wanting to get in a race, but I can totally see Carol looking at Thor and like the first one to get to India wins, you know, and like wanting to just totally show off the power set and stuff. And I think that that could be really fun to have somebody that's that competitive about everything. That would be fun. Yeah. And I think her cockiness, I mean, we, this is who not knowing the situation of everything, Fury contacted to save earth. Like, as he was poofing away. So I think we need that level of cockiness. I think there needs to be something about her that says I can save the earth. The other thing that struck me about the choice to do um, the movie as a nineties movie. I think one of the things they've already taken from this is doing Carol in other eras of time, help accentuate the um the gender disparity and the like um you know like this idea that women aren't treated equally with men it's not like it's not like we have come to a full wonderful you know utopia of equal gender relationships in 2018 but every time you back it up and take it back a decade or two or like with we saw with agent carter take it back to the 50s it does accentuate those things even more right like Today, it's more like passive-aggressive, subtle microaggression that women deal with. Whereas, like, you put it in the 90s and you can have a guy who's just a total sexist that's like, girls can't fly planes, and it feels a little more palpable and true to real existence. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Adam doesn't experience much sexism. What's that? (laughs) Nobody's told him he can't fly planes. That is accurate. I, uh, I think the Federal I'm Aviation saying, a, uh, whatever thing that's called, they probably tell him he can't Adam's, <laughs> Adam's dreams to be a fighter pilot squashed. I wouldn't mind flying. You know, I, I would I would get a li- like a pilot's license just to conquer my fear of heights. Hmm. I'm definitely afraid of heights. Dude, I rode in those little, like those little, yeah, I have no desire to go up in the little planes. Ever. Oh, those, those little planes are the worst. Yeah. That's what the local airport here has, like a six-seater. It's like 30 bucks one way. It's the worst plane ride you'll ever be on. If you're lucky. No bu- yeah, it's no bueno. No bueno. That's what you get in Iowa. Yeah. That's what you get in the Virgin Islands, too. All right. Uh, does that do it? I mean, that's all the questions I think I have. Does that do it for our... Captain Marvel talk. I mean, I like the character. I'm looking forward to reading some more. Um, I mean, our readers club, we're going to at least go through the first volume. So there's still time. And I mean, for anybody that hasn't joined on, what's the URL on them? Bookclub.marvelnewsdesk.com So you can still go and join. There's still plenty of discussion to be had. There's There are a bunch of people there. Um, so come chat with us because... I think there's more to be said and we're going to keep reading. I'm going to keep reading. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and hit up the mailbag. Um, so Michael T Ford had left us a couple of questions a few weeks ago. We had gotten some of them, but there was a couple of them left. Um, one of them was about 
And I feel bad. I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. The director, um, Antoine Fuqua, is that right? Yeah, so he is the, uh, he was recently uh, talked about in um, the, uh, to maybe be involved in a Marvel project. He is most known as a director um, in things like Equalizer 2 most recently, but also has done... Uh, also has done The Replacement Killers, Training Day, uh, Shooter, uh, Equalizer, Magnificent Seven. Uh, and so Michael T. Ford was asking, since that was the conversation of the time of him maybe do a movie, do you guys have any thoughts about something he could do that he would do well? I don't know. That's a good question. He is the good thing about him. Um, or one of the good things about him is he's a frequent collaborator with Denzel Washington. So I, I did see some mentions on Twitter at perhaps Adam Brashear for Denzel, perhaps. Maybe that's just a personal pipe dream of mine. Um, Given some of the training day and the cop stuff, it may be small, but I wouldn't mind seeing him do some Punisher stuff. You know, like uh, if he'd be willing to do Netflix, I think... Uh, a Punisher episode, or even, you know, we've talked about it would be cool if Netflix went ahead and just did, um, tried movies every once in a while with the Marvel characters. Like, uh, I don't know, a Punisher Daredevil team up film directed by him, I think could be a lot of fun. So, all right. Uh, the other thing that he asked is, um, if Marvel were to do, uh, sort of like a five film almost mini phase just for the X-Men and Fantastic Four stuff. Do you have any X-Men and Fantastic Four kind of stories that you would like to see done uh, early on for for um, Marvel's introduction to those characters? Uh, for X-Men, anything with the Starjammers and Shi'ar Imperial Guard because I am a sucker for cosmic stuff. Outside of that, I don't know. They've kind of done the... You're an X-Men fan, right, Caleb? They've kind of done the biggest X-Men storylines, in a sense. You know, Dark Phoenix and Days of Future Past um, are the two that come to mind. Um, So help me God if they do another Dark Phoenix movie in the MCU. I think the one thing that's nice about Dark Phoenix is... If they did do Phoenix stuff, it helps make the X-Men and Fantastic Four crossover easier. Because, you know, like, I almost see a story arc where Galactus is a threat and Phoenix actually helps defeat Galactus. And then they realize they have an even bigger problem on their hand. I think that could be interesting. Um, I've said, I think before on this podcast, that, I mean, my arc for the X-Men has always been to introduce the characters as they're introduced in the comics. So I want... I want the original. Um, I want the original five in a first movie, and then I want a second movie with Wolverine and Banshee and Nightcrawler and Colossus and Thunderbird and Storm and um, I'm missing one or two of those. But you know, like that that uh, kind of international giant size team, and then I'd like a third movie that's actually more like '80s focused, where you bring in like. Psylocke and Gambit and Rogue and Jubilee and maybe Cable and Deadpool. Like, I think that would be very fun to layer them that way. 
Because for me, it's always weird. Like, to me, Storm and Cyclops should not have the same history with the team. Like, it's just, in my brain, they're just so sequential. And, um, like, part of the fun of Storm is that she's not, she's a newer leader than Cyclops, but she does a better job at it because Cyclops sucks. Um, you know, like... Right. That's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just going to mention, I mean, if they chose not to put Cyclops in a single X-Men movie, I'd be perfectly fine with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The people who really love X-Men feel like Cyclops is essential, but... I I do think... um, I always like it when... I think that Magneto as a villain works better when he's trying to be left alone, and he can't be left alone. So a deal where he creates like an asteroid M or a deal where he creates like a Genosha, like his own nation. And he's kind of by himself and he's doing all right. And then the world governments just can't leave well enough alone. And then they attack him. It makes him a far more compelling villain because at that point he's lashing out defensively instead of offensively, which I think gives him more nuance. So I'd like to They're not going to make, sorry. No, that's okay. I just like to see that. So. They're not going to... Magneto's not going to be the first villain, right? That's that's like if they decided to do, like, Doc Ock or something in Homecoming, right? Yeah, I guess it depends on how much you think Magneto and Professor X are required as, like, the DNA of the whole property, you know? True. Psh, X-Men doesn't need Professor Xavier. Who are you joking? <laughs> I mean, that would be an interesting angle. Just, like, have have mutants out there and struggling and no Professor X to pull them together. But I don't know. I know nothing about the comics. It would be interesting to see how they became the X-Men. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You know, just, like, have them out there and, and it be a true, true... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Caleb, but aren't mutants pretty much, like, much, much better in humans? Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> Thanks, what is Adam. a mutant? I always love it when you bring that up. <laughs> um, I do, if there's one thing I want to see, um, that classic panel from the, uh, I don't even remember the name of the event anymore, but the the early 90s event where Magneto takes Wolverine and he just finally gets sick of him and he just rips the adamantium like Ooh. out of his body through his pores. Yeah. Like, I don't know if we'll ever see it. That may be too R-rated for a Disney Marvel movie, but, like, that scene is such an iconic scene. And the way it shocked everybody when then later on he's recovering and they find out that he has bone claws, that those were not just animantium from the beginning. I always thought that was so cool. I mean, that was peak X-Men for me as a kid, so I'd love to see that scene um, and all that stuff, so... I think Wolverine is a character that needs to... Um, go away? Well, I mean, not go away, but rest, just like James Gunn and Guardians. Um, I think I think the public needs some time. I mean, he has been Wolverine since I was in college, and we've established that that was a really long time ago. <laughs> And I mean that is so ingrained in in a lot of people's heads. So I think trying to do anything with Wolverine for several years would be 
I mean, I think a decade to let people rest on Hugh Jackman as Wolverine would not be too much. Unless you create a new universe that looks so, so unimaginably different than anything people would associate with Wolverine. That they replace him and it doesn't even feel like the same character. Like, it would have to feel like a completely different character to bring in a new Wolverine right now. I mean, I feel like you could bring in a whole new Cyclops and, like, whatever. Like, you know, there's a lot... I think even Professor X, you could bring in somebody else. I mean, I know Patrick Stewart has been Professor X as long as Hugh Jackman has been Wolverine. But I feel like you could replace that character with less mental gymnastics necessary than than that one particular character. I, I just think it's all casting. Because I think we thought there was no way... When we had um, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen as the ex-Magneto combo, it was like, oh, they're never going to do something this good. And then McAvoy and Fassbender was pretty close to just as good and like excellent casting, like let them get away with it. I think there was a lot of us that felt like Spider-Man needed to take a big break, but then they cast Holland and they redid it. And we were like, Oh, Nope, never mind. This is a totally new character. I'm excited about it. And so I just think it's, it's higher pressure. It's part of the reason though. I do like the idea of Wolverine in a sequel is that it at least gives it a three or four year gap before we see him again. Michael T. Ford also on Twitter had mentioned that uh, we're doing, uh, we talked about doing like rewatches of old Marvel movies. And he was totally excited about watching Blade 1 and 2. And apparently he has uh, the idea, he, I think he has a theory that you could fit Blade 1 and 2 into the MCU and there would be no hiccups. Like you could just like retroactively make those MCU movies and it would work. So I'm kind of interested in uh, that, that idea. Uh, also on Twitter, 084 uh, said some nice things about the Brewski interview and how listening to Brewski makes him absolutely hate Scott Buck, which <laughs> we, I mean, we purposely did not go there. I didn't want to put him on the spot to be like, Hey, iron fist sucks, huh? You know, like that wouldn't be fair to him. But I think when you hear the care and the the way that he talked about fight scenes so in-depth and so carefully, it really does make Iron Fist feel bad, even though that's not his intention. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Iron Fist Season 2 has a stunt guy. They got a stunt guy. They have a guy that cares about stunts. He cares about the punches. I had not, uh, I had not heard that. Oh, you mean like Twitter, like... Would they promote it by, like, sending him to San Diego Comic-Con or maybe put him in Twitter videos or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. They got a stunt guy, you guys. That's bizarre. The way they're doing... I mean, I get that they're trying to respond to criticism, but the way they're like, hey, guys, look, well, look, we have a stunt guy. It would be like your accountant. Like, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm interested in you doing my tax services. And they're like, I have a computer. Do you see that? I have a computer. I use computers. <laughs> and you're like, and a calculator. I would hope that you do have a calculator, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, a barber's got to be on cloud nine right now. He, I mean, like that's got to be a stunt guys like dream. I don't know. 
You don't know. I mean, who? How many stunt coordinators can you name besides Brewster? Oh, I can name Philip Silvera and um, um, coordinators. Okay, well, I can. Well, that's one more than I can. So, but I mean, it's just it's so bizarre. I mean, I totally under from a marketing standpoint, I totally get what they're coming from, but from a fan standpoint, I just can't believe they're actually doing it. I don't know. It's yeah. In one week, we will all know, like how good the Iron Fist stunts are. We could talk about that next week. Next week. Next week. Um, <laughs> yeah, Michael T. Ford said the Iron Fist campaign has been like that Domino's campaign. You remember this a few years ago when they're like, you know, we got lots of mail from you guys, and apparently our pizza sucked. <laughs> so the good news, <laughs> the good news is. Our pizza is totally different than yeah. it used to be. If you order it today, yeah. it won't taste like two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That was hilarious. That is the perfect comparison. So, also, uh, we have gotten lots of uh, love on the Brewster interview last week as far as um, just lots of sites picking it up and talking about it. That's been really fun. We haven't talked about it in our news because we made the news last week, but... Uh, if you like Marvel stuff, you've probably seen it in the news this week. So that's been really cool. Yay. Um, on Twitter, you want a cookie um, was talking about how uh, Brewster is a superhero. A minute ago, I did say Brewski, but that's because his Twitter handle is Ninja Brewski. And I was just referring to that. I did not get temporarily confused and call him <laughs> Brewski. I refer to him as Brewski all the time, but you oh, know, okay. we're pals. But you're pals. Uh, we did also have a tweet that got um, a comment from a rehire James Gunn recruiter. Did you guys see this? We no. Were like, oh, yeah. It was like a stupid poll. It was like, what should come next? Guardians, New Warriors, Doctor Strange 2. And then the like tweet under it was like, sign our petition here, get James Gunn back. And I was like, wow, those guys are, man, if they're t- subtweeting on us, they are really trying to get the word out. So. They are uh, more persistent than Shadowhunters fans. <laughs> they are. Um, we also got some nice comments about the supercut, and so we really appreciate that. Uh, Charles did a good job. And I think probably sometime after... what? What's the, uh, the embargo date on Iron Fisk? The 4th? Next Wednesday, review is going live at 12.01 a.m. You bet you Okay, 12.01. Check out our YouTube, and you will get to see... <gasps> Our review of Iron Fist. So Adam's review of Iron Fist. So Adam, you've seen Iron Fist? Oh, okay. No, I'm just guessing. <laughs> also, letting Adam do the Iron Fist review may not have been our most calculated <laughs> choice. Okay, okay, but you've read. It's I, did, obje- I did. I did. I did. Like I'm not being. I, I wasn't like. Oh my god, Iron Fist is the best thing since sliced bread. I am. I am very fair. That is true. And I think you probably agree on most of I my points. I think I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you, so how about you just pipe down a little <laughs> bit and, you know, it's, I mean, I, it's hey, all like Hey, you made it the X-Men Inhumans joke, okay? You, uh, you fired the yeah, first shot. I get that. <laughs> I get that. My, um, review is very fair. I think so, yeah. So, but. <laughs> also, did you see how much praise... Tom Pelfrey had for Scott Buck this week. I almost redid my review. No. No. Ew. Read his AMA. Like, he worships. Like, I love you, Tom. Uh, Oh, I don't want to hear this. Read his AMA. This is like, (laughs) you know, ugh. 
I don't want to hear this, use, but I want to hear everything I was, about it. You use a really bad metaphor there, but like this is like a celebrity you really like, and then this is like Chloe Bennett dating Logan Paul. Okay, as far yeah, as just like perfect turning metaphor. my stomach in a character I usually like. I uh, gave ten dollars to YouTube just so I could see Logan Paul get punched in the face repeatedly. <laughs> He's probably getting a big cut on that, Adam. That's what I'm just saying. Are you coming? That was the stupidest fight ever. It ended in a draw. You don't watch a boxing fight to have it end in a draw. Caleb, you buried the lead. 084 also used hashtag juggernauts and hashtag ward lives. So, like, nothing says I listened to the whole podcast. That's right. Not just, like, your little interview part. I, I... Props to you. Um, our uh, Juggernauts t-shirt will be available at store.marvelnewsdesk.com <laughs> sometime within the next five years. Juggernauts. <laughs> Can't guarantee a family-appropriate design with that one. We'll just see where the creative juices go We with were that. just asked if uh, your YouTube review will be spoiler-free for Iron Fist, correct? Yes, 110% spoiler-free. Um, the only things I talk about are those uh, moments in the trailer. So it will be spoiler-free if if you if you haven't seen the trailer. Yes, you will get spoiled a couple times. But if you see, it's like if you picked one up in Entertainment Weekly or whatever. I mean, you talk about the setup of the season because you have to talk about something. <laughs> you can't be like Iron Fist Two. I thought it was good. The end. It was good. It was nice. It was okay at points. Plus, if we get sued, I think I know a lawyer that tweets us all the time. So Awesome. But, the, I mean, let me rephrase that. The ultimate goal is to not get sued. Yeah. That's, that's plan A. <laughs> plan A. If you're listening, Netflix, which I don't think you are, we just really don't want to be sued. They might be. Yes. So the... Uh, the review is spoiler free. Yeah, it's yeah, it's very much like what you'd see in a, a paper or whatever. So, I mean, you wouldn't see it in a paper because nobody reads the paper anymore. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You guys can interact with us a lot of ways. You can send us messages on Twitter at Marvel News Desk. You can also communicate with us via our MarvelNewsDesk.com posts each week. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can give us a dollar a month over at patreon.com slash marvelnewsdesk. When you do that, you get access to our special MCU film ranking episode that's available only to Patreon supporters, as well as access uh, early access to a lot of our videos, such as our recent Winter Soldier Supercut. Uh, if you like us on Facebook, that's facebook.com slash marvelnewsdesk, or you can subscribe to YouTube at watch.marvelnewsdesk.com. Uh, also, we are now using a new program that's uh, loading these podcasts to YouTube as videos. Uh, it's something I was doing, and then it was taking a lot of time, and now I found a quicker way to do it. So if that's something that's interesting to you, watch them over there, and feel free to leave comments over there as well. I'll try to pick those up. Uh, you can um, support our show by giving us a buck a month over at patreon.com slash marvelnewsdesk. I probably already said that. Uh, oh, and you can help the show be more visible to other people if you want to give us a five-star review on iTunes. The number one thing you do every week, however, is you listen and you tell your friends, and we really appreciate it. Thanks to Tim Cox for our logo. He is on Instagram at Tim V. Cox. And thanks to Alvin for the theme music. You can find him on a variety of social media platforms at The Skull School. Uh, that does it for this week. Believe it or not, that means next week is Iron Fist Review. So... We will talk about what we think about Iron Fist. Um, 
We'll probably just talk about the first six episodes because I don't want to wait to record until the other four are available to us. So um, I think we found that works better anyways. We cut it up a little bit. So we'll talk about the first six next week. All right. Sounds good. We'll talk to you guys later.